Welcome to Outspoken Voices, a podcast by and for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer parents, people with LGBTQ parents, future parents, and everyone else who is part of our family journeys. I'm your host, Emily McGranahan, and I am the Director of Family Engagement with Family Equality Council. There are some important things that I learned from my moms that I hope to pass on to my children someday. A passionate commitment to social justice, an open mind, the love of reading, the ability to never get sick of the Jesus Christ Superstar soundtrack, and the safety and support to understand and embrace their gender identity and sexual orientation throughout their lives. Some queer spawn carry with them generations of LGBTQ identities, their own, their parents, grandparents, and beyond. To really dig into the experiences of families with multiple generations of LGBTQ identities, I have two amazing queer spawn with me today. Jamie Bergeron is a consultant with Ernst & Young LLC in the Diversity and Inclusiveness Center of Excellence. Jamie is originally from central New York, a daughter of two lesbian moms and a granddaughter of two lesbian grandmothers. Jamie is currently a Family Equality Council board member. She has been involved with Collage for the last 20 years as a youth participant, Family Week volunteer, facilitator, and chapter leader for the Greater Boston Collage Chapter. Also with me is Emmett. Emmett DuPont is a fourth-generation queer spawn and a first-generation college student on the brink of graduation from Hampshire College in Amherst, Mass. Emmett is in their sixth year working with Collage, where they initially started as a volunteer and are now the Adult Accessibility Lead Coordinator. Emmett is a high school teacher and academic advisor at an independent alternative high school located in Holyoke, Mass. They spend their spare time working as a public speaker and workshop facilitator, focusing in sex education, trans inclusivity, and financial access. Welcome, Jamie and Emmett. Thanks, Emily. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, so excited. Um, so I'm going to start with the question that I love to ask all of guests. Uh, and Jamie, if you would maybe start for us, who is in your family and how was it formed? So in my family are my two moms, Lynette and Sharon, and my brother, Casey, who is 10 years younger than I am. My parents used anonymous donor insemination to have us both. And in addition to my parents, I have a number of aunts and uncles. I have a grandmother and grandfather on one of my mom's sides. And on my other mom's side, I have two grandmothers, Nina and Chrissy. Great. And Emmett, uh, who is in your family and how was it formed? So my immediate family is my mother and her wife and my older brother. I My family was created through uh, divorce of a, of a heterosexual relationship. So my birth mother uh, and my father were married until I was six and then they got divorced. And um, my mother got with Renee, my, my second mom. Um, so that's kind of our immediate family. There's some issues in Renee's family with acceptance of LGBT folks. So she has, you know, parents that are uh, my grandparents, but we don't have a very close um, connection. And then uh, on my my biological mom's side, my grandmother who, who passed away a few years ago, and my grandfather who is who is gay. Uh, and then I have a fourth generation of, of queer family who I did not know, my great grandmother, who, who passed away uh, before I was born. And she, um, we, we really only know about her queer identity from her writings that she kept, her journals. 
that's kind of my queer lineage. Um, but for my, my immediate family, it's just my brother and, and my mom's and me and our four cats and turtle. <laughs> Great. So I know we're going to use some terms throughout the episode. Um, and a lot of these we've used in previous episodes, but it's always good for a nice refresher. Um, and especially when I've got some amazing activists to help me uh, in the ever evolving definitions we use within the LGBTQ community, and especially within the queer spawn community. Either of you could answer this one. What, how do you define queer spawn? And, and sort of what does that term queer spawn mean to you? I would define queer spawn as anyone who has an LGBT parent or caregiver. Uh, what the term means to me, I think, is a lot broader and deeper than that. For me, kind of learning about the term queer spawn and the kind of identity group that was behind that and, and realizing that other people had this experience meant that I was able to really connect with folks for the first time in my life who also had experiences of being raised by LGBT folks and um, who knew what it meant to be culturally queer, even before I, I had that word, I, I had that experience. And so I was able to use the kind of umbrella of Queer Spawn to connect with other people who who had that shared culture and those shared experiences. I would agree completely with all of that. I, I second all of that. And the only thing that I would add is that the word Queer Spawn, to me, really showcases the history and evolution of our community of people with LGBT parents speaking up and sharing our voices within the movement for the first time, naming ourselves, owning our identities, owning our experiences as being culturally queer, as Emmett mentioned, in the late 80s by really self-defining. And that history is wrapped up in that word for me. And it's so important and it's so different than generations before us and generations of queer spawn before us that didn't have such language. So holds a historical meaning, meaning to me, in addition to all of the personal identity related meaning and the community meaning that I hold around the word too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm nodding my head very vigorously. I completely agree. Um, and what about the other, another term uh, that I here within queer response spaces, the term bothy, which I love. Um, I think it's a really cool term. Uh, what is what is a bothy? A bothy is someone who has gay moms and gay dads. Typically, it's most usually referencing someone who has a pair of lesbian or bisexual moms and a pair of lesbian and bisexual dads. But it could also be um, someone who, let's say, has a mom and a dad that divorced and both turned out to be gay or queer. So the family formation isn't really um, necessarily part of the word. The family could be formed in any number of ways, but it's that both sets of your biological parents are queer. Thanks. And what we're really talking about today is that the generational aspect. And another term is sort of second gen or second generation queer spawn. Uh, and Emmett, would you start us off with that term um, as we go into additional generations and what all of that sort of means? Yeah, absolutely. So second generation queer spawn is just a term that we use to identify folks who are themselves some form of queer or trans and also have some form of queer or trans parents. So people who have that sort of um, history of, of being within the LGBTQ community in their sort of personal history, whether or not that is biological family or not. Excellent. And in your families, you, in your bio, I mean, you identify as fourth generation queer spawn 
And Jamie, in your bio, you identified it there yourself as third generation queer spawn. So what has some of that looked like of what those additional generations have been? Um, and what does that sort of mean for folks? So third generation queer spawn means that there are three generations of queer trans people in my family that we know of. And in particular, it's one after another. So it, it, it's not it's not just that there are three people of varying generations that are queer trans, but it's that there is a direct lineage. And so for Emmett being fourth generation, it's one at one generation after another four times in a row that there's been a queer trans person in, in their family. And it could go on and on. But I mean, I just want to also recognize that there's so much we don't know about the people that came before us and their gender identities and their sexual orientations. So to Emmett's point about knowing about their their great grandparent only through her writings and journals. I mean, that's such a gift that Emmett's able to have that knowledge. Many of us don't have that kind of knowledge about our great grandparents, our great great grandparents. So it's probably likely that people that there are more third, fourth, fifth generation queer spawn that just don't know that lineage, don't have the uh, resources available to know um, the, their identities of their family. Yeah, absolutely. I feel so lucky to have that resource. Um, it was it was actually discovered after she passed away, hidden in a in a literal closet under linens. And you know, really, it wasn't it wasn't that she identified with a particular label. I think probably that that language was not um, accessible to her in in any way. Uh, so it was really more through erotic writing, actually, that we. <laughs> We're able to sort of interpret uh, her identity as, as at least bisexual, and and really we don't have we don't know what word she would have put to that if she had existed today and and been able to have access to the same kind of community that that I was able to have access to. And every generation in my family has come out younger, which I think is also a really amazing gift too. That as our society and language and culture have kind of evolved, people in my family have been able to. Uh, find terms and find community at younger and younger ages. And unfortunately, that wasn't something that she got to experience before she passed away. But um, I, 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 I feel so sure that she would be very excited to know that, that she is part of this uh, lineage of queerness that came after her. That's such an interesting and very important piece that within our own generation, being out first and then being able to parent, which was certainly not the case for most of history, you know, they didn't have, there weren't legal protections. You weren't, there was the ability to foster and adopt the ability to, the technology to have um, children biologically wasn't there. When, I mean, you also brought up the term culturally queer. I'd actually really be interested in talking more about that and then how those sort of generations of, and that lineage changes so much because I think of myself, my own identity as culturally queer and my parents being out, uh, us living together as an out family, the queer culture that they existed in and that then therefore I was brought up in is so important, but also so different from previous generations. So I, it makes me think that our current sort of culturally queer identity is so different from that of, you know, potentially your parents, grandparents and beyond. Um, do you think that it ha continues to that also kind of continues to grow and develop that culturally queer identity? Or is that something that is probably more unique to our generation? 
So I think that that's a good point, Emily. And I definitely think that, you know, our generation, so I'm in my mid thirties, I, I would say queer spawn in their mid thirties, early to mid forties, definitely have a different understanding of what it means to be culturally queer than, for example, my mother, who is also a queer spawn because she has a lesbian mom. Although I think I think there are some similarities. I think what one thing that is really special in my family was that my grandmother came out right around the same time that my mother came out. So my grandmother already had four children. She was divorced from my grandfather by that time by the time my mom came out, but my grandmother was in her early 40s and my mother was 19 and they came out right around the same time. So a lot of the queer identity development for both of them and participating in LGBT events, learning LGBT language and tradition, building a chosen family, getting involved in what was happening in their cities, both really involved in AIDS activism and building strong communities of, of lesbians with strong feminist ideals. They were sort of doing that in parallel and they shared friends. They both are two people who always have had many friends, much older, much younger and across generations. And I think in queer community, that's pretty common. And so my grandmother and my mother sort of built that together in a way that my mother and I, with my mother already being out by the time I was born and then me coming up and and, ne- and needing to come out, we didn't really share that learning process together. So I think her culturally queer orientation um, was developed alongside my grandmother and having a lesbian mom at that time to walk side by side was a special and unique experience. But I definitely think for our generation, there's just so much more exposure. I mean, lucky for us, we don't have to build everything for the first time in the same way that some of our parents and certainly our grandparents had to do. We are we have a much more accessible life um, that we can lead as as second, third, fourth generation queer spawn to access people who have shared experiences or to just access queer queer cultural content um, in in easier ways. So I think we're more, more privileged in that way. And I, I totally agree with all of that. And just to build on that, I think a lot of what you're talking about is sort of the foundation of of queer culture and who sort of came before us historically and used their lives and their bodies to build on the queer culture that we have now that that all queer people benefit from. Um, And I think it's a little bit of a different perspective when you know that that those people and that um, activism is in your family, that there's maybe a greater um, gratitude or understanding for where some of that work came from and how it informs queer culture today for, for all of us. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with that. And I, I would also say as queer spawn, I think we have this shared experience of how do we talk about our families? When do we bring it up? What do we leave out? What do we add in? That is a culturally queer experience. I know that my mother and my grandmother also have to stop and think about and, and consider what coming out, whether about their own identities or 
our family identities, what that will mean in a particular context and that fear or worry or sense of isolation or, or, or whatever emotions surround the experience of coming out. I know that across these generations, we, we share that in a similar way. So I think about that a lot. I think about the ways that we share those experiences and how different our, our lives have been as queer people across generations. Yeah. And, and growing up where I witnessed and, and participated certainly in the spaces where my family was out or wasn't out. And I saw, just as you mentioned, one of my moms was out at work and the other was never out at work. Um, and so when I would visit her, like I knew to, even from a young age, knew what, you know, what to say and how, how to be closeted. Um, you know, you kind of had to learn that because fortunately I existed primarily in a space where we were out. And so I had to learn how to not be out and when to gauge situations. Was were you also then witnessing um, your own coming out experience as queer spawn and uh, as your own identities and you know or additional identities I should say, and then seeing spaces where your parents or grandparents were out or went out. So what you know what kind of role did the closet play in your family or not being out or in assessing those safety situations? And were you witnessing those different generations of decision-making happening? Yeah, that is definitely something that I uh, witnessed. A great way of putting it of different generations of decision-making around that. My mother and her wife are very out. Um, I can't really think of a context in my whole life where they were closeted or, or asked me to be less open about the composition of our family. That was not not really something that came up. Um, and I think a lot of that was that my 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 birth mother spent so much of her life being closeted. She wasn't out until she was over 40 that when she did come out, I think she was pretty excited to share it with the world. But my my grandfather, there are a lot of complicated pieces to his story, but he has experienced in the in the area that he lives in a, a lot of violence related to his identity from um, vandalization of property to drive-by shootings, um, some pretty sort of intense discrimination based on him being openly gay. And so there are definitely a lot of situations where he was closeted. Um, and that was something that I, that I knew and that I was always aware of. So I definitely, even as a child, was sort of holding the complexities of the pride and ability to be out about my immediate family, that my mom was especially eager to build in me this this lack of fear and this ability to go out into the world and to feel proud of saying that I have two moms and to be able to express that without without shame or fear, but also holding that her own father was not in the same position to to do that. And looking back on it, that's something that I kind of admire about the way she was able to, my, my mother was able to navigate that situation of being able to, um, you know, understand what it was like for her growing up. Um, having a closeted parent, not being able to talk to anyone about it, feeling very ashamed of that experience and holding respect for his position, even as an adult, not wanting to be out in, in many circumstances, while also trying to raise me with that pride that she didn't experience. Wow. I'm, I'm soaking that in. Yeah. All of this really makes me think of of how there, I've been reading more and, and seeing more conversations around transgenerational trauma, and, ex, and it, that's especially within the context of communities of color and also people um, experiencing PTSD. 
But I think some of the ideas and some of the general theories coming out of that, you know, I read it and I'm like, this feels a lot like it, it kind of applies to our experiences, you know, within queer spawn communities and especially within um, families with those legacies and that that sort of direct lineage, uh, which I love that term, Emma, the, that lineage of queer identities. Because our, you know, we we've all mentioned, you know, we saw Fam, our, our family uh, members not being safe. You know, when we saw, you know, when we were closeted and we, we internalized, I mean, I know I have, my parents have, you know, and I know that it's generational for many that that trauma, that homophobia, the transphobia and the biphobia that can exist within, a, even within a queer family you know, do we as queer spawn and in our families, the youngest, you know, generation, do we carry that or do we not? Is that something that we are able to not pass on or not take on for ourselves? I definitely think I carry it. I think all queer spawn carry that, um, whether they're second, third or fourth generation queer spawn or not. I think in particular for heterosexual or straight queer spawn it's sort of a different conversation about the way that they're they hold that generational trauma and I think that's something we don't talk enough about about straight queer spawn and 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 all of that but since we're talking about third and fourth gen queer spawn I think for me as third generation I carry the stories of my mothers and grandmothers with me all the time. And I constantly feel their experiences inside of me and and with me as I'm having my own experiences and constantly comparing my life to theirs and wanting to both make them proud, but also undo some of the things that I was taught about how to live my life as a queer person, you know, mostly in terms of like the closet and, and how, and how I should think about um, my own safety and trying to figure that out for myself, which is different than, you know, my mother's way of, of being still. One of my grandmothers also has two brothers that, that were gay and, and died of AIDS. I think for me and my family that matters a lot. Um, that, that experience matters a lot to me. I think comparatively to LGBT people my age who do not have LGBT elders in their life or family member, older family members in their life, there's a disassociation with the history of our community that I think only because I hold this intergenerational trauma around that, it becomes infuriating to me, their apathy around the history of our community, using the example of the of the AIDS movement as one. But, but there are many kind of topics like that that hit a traumatic nerve for me amongst my LGBT peers in the communities that I'm in when thinking about who we are as queer folks. I just have a much broader understanding of who we are and where we've been and and how I think we should connect to our to our culture. Yeah, I definitely agree with all of that. I I think for myself um and and maybe this is just kind of where I'm at right now, 
But I do feel hesitant in some way to label that experience as intergenerational trauma, um, both because I know that term is uh, and, and has been, to my understanding, um, coined and, and utilized by communities of color. And I, I feel hesitant in some way to um, sort of co-opt that experience, but also because I'm I'm not sure that, for me anyway, all of the aspects of what, what Jamie was just talking about, like carrying that knowledge within you and having that connection to queer elders and to our history. Although I think that it can uh, in some times and in some contexts be trauma and be undoing, um, like Jamie was saying, undoing some of those maybe harmful messages that we might've gotten growing up. But it can also, I think, be a, a euphoria and a, a really a really incredible experience that I feel really lucky to have that that many of my queer peers have just no way to relate to um, and and have don't, really don't have those role models and really don't have that way of looking to the past and seeing what their own future could be. Um, and I think that's been something that's really important for me is that I, I have representations of what it looks like to be an adult and be queer and have a family and and be happy. And a lot of what I've noticed, especially even being in, in college, um, at, at, a, at a college that has a very large queer presence that most people haven't really seen a representation of what it might be like to be an adult and be queer. For a lot of people, the oldest queer person they know is 25. And and I think I think that can be challenging for people in, in kind of realizing their own identity and being able to imagine their own future. Um, and though I have these other uh, aspects of that lineage that can be um, as, as Jamie was saying, can be traumatic and can be a burden in some ways to carry. It can also be a, a joy to carry. And I, I, I don't want to label it too much as one or the other because they are so, for me, just intertwined in, in that experience. I agree with you, Emma. I think it's, it's both for me. And like, like you're saying about how other queer people who are not second or third gen or fourth gen, you know, don't, aren't able to have those relationships and those role models. I see that in with people my age who don't know anyone who's queer that has children and they're thinking about family planning, don't know any queer people that hold a multitude of jobs or leadership positions. I mean, just thinking about my parents' friends and all the different people in my life who were queer professors and queer house cleaners and queer airport workers and truck drivers. I just like I knew what being a queer woman in the world could look like for me. And there were many, many variations. And I could pick from those examples what I thought would work for me. I think for me in terms of like gender expression as a very femme person, there's some, I didn't have any femme role models as a young person, but I feel really blessed by the broad range of what femininity looked like in my life. And so I do think it's both. I think for me, there is an intergenerational awareness of the trauma that being queer means and what it is. And I think we hold that and that euphoria. I do agree completely, Emmett. We hold that privilege and euphoria of being able to look back to people before us and see these amazing role models. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with what you had just said about you know, it's not just your parents or your grandparents, it's all of the people that they kept company with. 
right? If you were lucky enough to have grown up uh, in a queer home where, where your parents had a lot of friends around, like I'm the first generation that we know of in, in my family to identify as trans, but I always knew trans people growing up. I, I never had a moment where I had to, like many of my trans peers sort of discover that language for the first time or discover what that meant for the first time, because that had always been part of my awareness through my parents, but not not directly, just through the multitude, as you were just saying, of experiences and lives and individuals and identities that I was exposed to growing up, which I think really kind of ties back to the experience of just cultural queerness and what that what that means. What are some of the ways then that your parents and grandparents have supported you and your own queer spawn identity and your LGBTQ identity? So thinking about how can older generations be supporting the younger folks in their lives? I think one of the things that I think older generations can do is remain open-minded to the ways that our generation is taking what they created and renaming, redefining, rethinking, reworking um, queer identities. I think I think particularly around gender expression, um, non-binary identities, trans identities. And I think what older LGBT people, but LGBT people in particular can, can do to support us is allow us to continue to build out the culture and to continue to create the community in a way that does actually reflect us and how we think of things and how we're building on to what came before us and have fewer boxes. I think that that's one thing I would like to ask of the older generation. But I also think that as younger generation, we have we have a responsibility to support older folks through the transition of life and sort of be a conduit to the community in a lot of ways. There are a lot of LG, older LGBT people in my life who feel somewhat disconnected from a broader queer community or or from younger queer folks that feel that they're not welcome in queer space, things like that. And I think as a third generation queer spawn, I, can, I see myself as a bridge in that way for folks to be able to continue to find community amongst generations. My final word for any second or third generation queer spawn or queer spawn listening, I would, I would say that my best advice would be to have conversations with your family members about your queer identity and about what culturally queer thinking means to you. I think that we so often remain only in our own community. And I know as a third generation queer spawn that the stories of my mothers and grandmothers so influence who I am in the world. So whether you are multi-generationally queer or not, I think we need to hear from the stories of people around us continuously so that we don't get caught in single uh, linear thinking about what it means to be queer. And we stay attuned to su- such a broad diversity of uh, ways to think about our identities and how to be supportive of one another. Thank you. Um, Emmett, what are, do you have any final thoughts before we end as well? 
there is honestly nothing that I could add to to Jamie's answer to make it any uh, more perfect than it already was. I would just <laughs> absolutely second all of that. Everything that she just said, I was just absolutely agree. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ad. This has been such a really nice conversation that highlights what is what grounds this podcast. I think grounds our community and our movement, which is the love and the joy in our families across generations while still absolutely having that still center us, knowing that it is not always simple and it's not always easy. It's not always clear. And there's harm that happens, you know, within our families, but also that is put upon our families by the outside world, you know, by others, by society. So um, we really appreciate Emma and Jamie, you know, that you're, you're here and, and letting that conversation happen um, and continuing it. And I hope uh, folks listening will, be inspired or this will spark something and can conversations will continue to happen within families and across generations very importantly again thank you for joining us today rate review and subscribe to outspoken voices you can find outspoken voices on our website soundcloud itunes stitcher and wherever you get your podcasts you can find family equality council at familyequality.org and on Facebook and Instagram at Family Equality, and on Twitter at Family underscore Equality. Until next time, remember that love, justice, family, and equality is what brings our families together.